0: Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The second reading comes from Matthew chapter 27 verses 45 to 54, and page, found on page 999 of your Bibles and on the screen in, in front of you. That's Matthew 27, beginning at verse 45. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama Sabakhtani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God.
0: I would like to add my very sincere words of welcome to you who are visiting, not only the baptism families, but also to others who are in St. Jude's, perhaps on holiday or whatever a very warm welcome. I do apologize that our vicar is not here. But uh, he's been away in Africa and only got back in the early hours of yesterday morning. Thank God for our assistant vicar, Chit. Every year at the uh, summer time. Uh, Mike Duff, our vicar, leads us in studies on prayer. There cannot be many more subjects that are more important for the Christian life, our way of life. Prayer has been said as the very breath of Christians. And so year by year, in different ways and different approaches, Mike has led us to study the whole business of prayer, the school of prayer. And this year, he has chosen that we should look at various psalms, hence Psalm 13, which was read to us a few minutes ago, and various other psalms throughout the Psalter, depicting different subjects and facets of prayer. At this point, let us turn to God in prayer. Father, we ask you that you will take your holy word that you will open it up to our hearts and minds according to your knowledge of our individual needs, that we may grow in our understanding and relationship with you. Amen. Many years ago, uh, in a certain country, they were under viciously severe oppression from the nations around them. And their king called them out to prayer. And this is what they prayed. We are powerless before this vast multitude that comes against us. We are at a loss what to do, hence our eyes are turned towards you, O God. Very reminiscent years later of a certain king of England, George VI, who in 1940, realizing that The desperate situation of our army in France called the nation to prayer. The weather changed, the sea was made calm, and hundreds, if not thousands, of little boats left the south and east coast of England and went across to Dunkirk. It was thought that possibly they might get 30,000 troops rescued. As it was, 330 were brought back, safe and able to go on fighting against the evils of Nazism. The time in question of the quotation I first made was about 850 years B.C., The country was the biblical kingdom of Judah and the surrounding enemies and armies were from Ammon, Moab, and Edom, all today part of Jordan. The leader of the country at that time was the Davidic king, a chap called Jehoshaphat, not a name I would rejoice in, I must admit. And that liturgical prayer of lamentation To which he called the people is recorded for us in a book earlier in the Bible from where we read a book called Two Chronicles. I'm going to use a theologian's uh, definition of lamentation. And it's this a prayer for help coming out of severe pain. It's very common in the Bible over a third of the psalms have aspects of lamentation in them. Books like Job, Jeremiah, and Habakkuk are filled with lamentation. And there is a book that lives under that name called Lamentations, and it expresses the confusion of God's people and their suffering That they felt after their city of Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians. Psalm 13, therefore, before us this morning, is by no means unique. Note well, it's in the first person singular. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? It's a very personal hymn which you can take home and use for yourself alone when nobody else is looking or watching perhaps. We find something similar to the Old Testament use of lamentation in the New Testament. People who were afflicted cried out to Jesus for help. Jesus himself laments in the Garden of Gethsemane to his Father. And then on the cross, that passage that was read to us as our second reading this morning, he uses the words from Psalm 22 for himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Despite its wide-ranging presence in the Bible, we Christians have, by and large, lost touch with this dimension of prayer. It is perhaps something we do do well to recover. When we feel blessed, we sing hymns of praise and worship. But what happens when we experience just the opposite? What happens when we're overcome by the presence of chaos, brokenness, suffering, death of a loved one, or terminal illness in a close friend or relative? And suddenly, our human vulnerability becomes evident. When we hurt physically, we cry out in pain. I'm very good at crying out in pain. If you stub your toe against something, I'm likely to say, ow, because I'm a coward. When we hurt spiritually as Christians, lamentation be- can be described as a loud Christian, ouch, God, I'm hurting. In more modern times, we might say, I call to you, O Lord, and all I get is your answering machine. Even when we take our cries directly to the top, to God himself, he sometimes seems very far away as is in the second verse of psalm 22 my god i cry out by day and you answer not by night and there is no relief for me and i guess all of us once in a while has an experience like that how long o lord So in this 21st century, how should you and I behave before God when we're faced with severe difficulties? First, be honest with God. Be honest with God. We often feel to say, my God, my God, you have forsaken me. And we shouldn't feel this way. Something's wrong with me. I, 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 I shouldn't feel like that because I know God is good. Perhaps I'm losing my faith. But honest lament corrects a false, naive, and overly rationalistic view of faith. In the scriptures, faith is not simply an intellectual. Assent to some statement about God. It is the trusting of our entire selves to God and His hands to guide and care for us. At times, we do experience God's absence, we do feel alone and confused. And we do doubt. Doubt is not opposed to faith, but despair is. Listen to some words from St. Paul when he wrote to the church in Corinth. But we have this treasure, that's the good news of Jesus Christ, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Note carefully that the Apostle's testimony was that we were, he was perplexed but not in despair. In despair, we give up on our relationship with God. Doubt, on the other hand, is a sign that our faith is alive and kicking, It is part of the rhythm of faith itself. Remember how Jesus on the cross turns from that agonizing cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We read a few moments later when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And it's the Apostle John who tells us that that loud was a shout Finished. Father, the work you gave me to do, it's all complete. I have died. I have borne the punishment that is not due to me, but is due to the rest of the world. Father, it's finished. Lament is not a failure of faith, but an act of faith. We cry out directly to God because deep down we know that our relationship with God counts. It counts to us, and it counts to Him. These two little relationships, which have hardly started in their walk towards the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as true for them as it is for those of us who are old and grey. By the way, God doesn't say, I hear you and I'm going to take all the trouble and all the difficulty away and tomorrow it's going to be bright sunshine and everything is going to be wonderful. No, 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 God never, ever says that. But what he does say again and again in the Scriptures in Old and New Testament, I know your suffering. I know your troubled heart. I know what's breaking your heart at the moment. And I am with you. I am with you. A very good friend of ours wrote a Christian book about depression and leaving God out of her life. And for a long period of her life, she felt that God was far away and not interested in her. And she said in her book, it was like walking into the desert. And I walked and I walked for miles on my own, carrying this heavy burden of sorrow and deep agony. And eventually I said, this is crazy, I must turn round and go back to God. And she said, I turned round and bumped into him. God is with you. He knows the pain of your heart. Almost those things that you don't even share with your loved ones. summary, perhaps it's true that we have lost a healthy sense of lament in our personal prayer life and possibly in our communal life as well. Perhaps situations exist in all our lives of communal grief around us. We read of it, we see it on our television sets almost as entertainments. When fire, floods, earthquakes, tornadoes and hurricanes hit other parts of the world and we read that dozens if not hundreds if not thousands of people have lost their lives. That is a time for communal grief and a lament before God. What about the awful experience of a girl who gets raped? These sort of stories are in our newspapers almost every day. And 99.999% of the time they don't touch us because we don't know the person, we don't know the place. Perhaps we're discovering that as followers of Christ we have been more traumatized than initially we thought And there may still be some lamentation work to do. Not moaning and groaning. God does not like moaners and groaners. How helpful it would be if in Scripture there would be models that allow us to express and acknowledge our grief and pain, our confusion, sometimes our anger. to offer each other strength and support in difficult times, to help individually and communally, and for us to move forward with the task and challenge of life and to help us discern what is good and a proper response to each and every situation. We do have such structures. This book's full of them. Absolutely full of them. Again and again and again. God's servants who were living faithfully for him and with him found themselves in dire situations. One day Jesus said, hey, come on guys, let's get in the boat to his disciples and go over to the other side of the lake. This was after the feeding of the 5,000. And what does he do? He goes to sleep. And there's a storm. And they wake up. "Such not you care? that we're about to perish. What a terrible, terrible, terrible question to ask the Son of God. And he got up and rebuked the storm. He doesn't always rebuke the storm, but he does promise always to be with us. Let's look to our Savior on the cross. You and I if we live throughout all eternity, will, I don't think, ever comprehend the depth of agony between father and son as Jesus cried out those horrific words to his father. We shall never understand it. Why did he love me? I never can tell. Why did he suffer to save me from hell? Nothing. But infinite grace from above could have conceived such a story of love. Look at Jesus. Let's be honest with God in our prayers. Tell him just how we feel. He does know already, by the way. And then, as the same King George I referred to earlier on advised the nation during his Christmas 1939 broadcast which is a one-year-old I remember so clearly. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than a light and safer than a known way. How long, O Lord, how long. And the psalm ends, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Amen.